Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Len, aka the Bat Triple. And on this stop, as we continue our march towards 300, we delve into the world of documentary. Yes. With Lynn's Choice, 2016's award-winning documentary featuring the wit, wisdom, and insightful critique of one James Baldwin, I Am Not Your Negro. I Am Not Your Negro. There's not one moment where he sounds like that in the documentary. But before we get to that, that was edited out. Okay. Samuel Jackson, you know, read it and he's like, should probably let you know I get real sensitive about James Baldwin. About James Baldwin. About James Baldwin. Um, shout out to everyone out there watching us uh, as we are streaming live and all the people in the chat Deborah Battle, Robert Monroe, Aaron Fry, Catrice Greer, long time no see. Good and evening. Oh. Belinda Silber is in the All right. Chat. Now, I am especially shouting out Belinda. Okay. Belinda, okay, was very very kind and mailed us, okay, a book that okay. you are actually um reading currently. Oh, easy with the reading currently. Well, okay. I mean, cuz you're not going to quiz me, are you? No, I, I well, okay. I haven't read it. All right. <laughs> You read it, so okay. <laughs> I mean, you're reading, so I, I I don't know anything about it except that it is called Colorization. Yes, 100 Years of Black Films, um, by Will Haygood. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, so it looks like a very interesting book. It does. And it does. Thank you, Belinda, for sending that to us. Um, Vincent is uh, paging through that book as we speak. Okay. And we are making inroads to getting Mr. Haygood, uh, contacting him to see if we can't bring him on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mission. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that. We do love the film history. Yes. We do love the film history and the film critique. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Belinda says, you're welcome and hopes that you are enjoying it. I am. I am. So, uh, shout out to her. Thank you. Uh, let's get to our listener mail. Okay. Missives from the missionaries. Yes. And we have one from one Patrick Donovan. Hey, Patrick. Greetings, men of the Michaud Mission. I'm a big fan of the show and enjoyed your discussion of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Thank you. It reminded me of 1957's Island in the Sun, which Mm. was the first movie to show a kiss between a black woman and a white man. Right. It's interesting that it took another decade before Guess Who's Coming to Dinner would show a black man kiss a white woman. Right. Even more interesting that it was shown quickly in mm-hmm. the rear view mirror of the cab perhaps to make the white audience more comfortable makes me think of the basilisk in harry potter that instantly kills all who see it but only petrifies hermione who sees its reflection in the mirror thank you for all you do and happy road to 300 pat thank you pat island in the sun is that is that dorothy dandridge 
Was that Dorothy Dandridge? Because I don't know if I've ever seen that. I, I knew, wouldn't be surprised. I knew that was the, the, the first kiss. Yeah, like the big thing about the movie. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised considering that it's 1957. Uh, let's see. Island in the Sun, the film from 1957, filmed in Cinemascope, stars James Mason, Harry Belafonte, Joan Fontaine, Joan Collins, and one Dorothy Dandridge. Dorothy Dandridge, yeah. I mean, she. I mean, pretty much the fifties. It was Dorothy Dandridge, and until she was blacklisted, Eartha Kitt. Right, right, right. So, right. Um, yeah. So, and we. It's not a bad to, cast. No, well, I mean, yeah. We should watch that. Not, you know. <laughs> Perhaps we should. The thing is, it's like, well, I mean, the film is about race relations and interracial romance in the fictitious island of Santa Marta. Is is that the song? Is that the the film where Harry Belafonte introduced the banana song? I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe that is the um, the song. I'm looking to see if it mentions that. Yeah, the title song "Island in the Sun" was written by Hal. Harry Belafonte and Irving uh, Berlin? No, Irving Bergy. Okay. There are now over 40 cover versions recorded by various artists such as the Merry Men, uh, Katrina Valente, and the Righteous Brothers, just to name it. So few, it briefly was featured and parodied in the 1992 The Muppet Christmas uh, Carol. Wait, Island well, wait in the minute, Sun? Wait a minute, that's not the banana song. Yeah, that's, that's not the, the banana song. The, the mm. island, island, I don't know the song Island in the Sun. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I do either. I don't. I, I but that's not the banana song. I don't. I, I, is the, is the, isn't the banana song called the banana song? I thought it was called the banana song. And here we go. Here, here we go. We go. <laughs> and they are off and running. I don't know. Um, the two squirrel men <laughs> of the Michaud mission. I see you you typing it in, so I'm, I'm right, right. Or, or is it Deo? Oh, is could Deo is it be called the name Deo? Because that came up. Deo is a difference. Did I come? Well, I guess I guess that could be the the banana boat song. Okay, well, it, right, it's right, not right. Island in the Sun. It's not Island in the. So, sun. what movie did that premiere in? Did it premiere in the movie? I thought it did. It seemed like it would have. It certainly sounds like a soundtracky type of thing. I mean, doesn't necessarily have to be, but I it's from the album Calypso. Okay, maybe those are songs inspired by Island in the Sun. Yeah, maybe. What year? Nineteen fifty-six. Yeah, it's like would have been right around. This movie came out fifty-seven, so it's right in that. Who knows? But we will. Uh... Anyway, thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, and Th thank you for pointing that out to us. And now we'll look into that. There was actually, I knew there was something else I wanted to point out to him. the The reason why the kiss in the rearview mirror is so quick, and the reason why it is done the way that it is done, mm -hmm. is in order for the is so that the um, production company could placate the South. Yeah. They made that scene a scene that could be easily edited out. Yes. When the movie played 
Yeah. In the South. Yeah. Well, you know, my dad used to tell me that the scene in in the heat of the night the slap the slap mm-hmm. my dad told me he didn't see that scene down in, in baltimore no well, until right. he moved to baltimore okay he's okay. from mobile and in louisiana oh yeah and, they weren't playing it. and he told me he didn't see that part until he moved to baltimore i'm not surprised and i don't know if that was a studio mandate because i feel like it's, it's funny i was listening to that episode the other day and i don't know if we talked about it, or maybe we did and um I've never seen any documentation of that. Mm. So I'm wondering if that was something like maybe local movie houses would do. Yeah, I'm I'm curious because that slap, you really need that slap in that scene. Otherwise, the whole tension of the scene is gone. Right. You know? Well, I'm wondering if that whole scene was excised. Or if they maybe filmed a whole nother version. Oh, they probably didn't film a whole nother version. Yeah, well. But when you think about it, when you think about the plot, you don't actually need that scene. Like that true. scene doesn't okay, have anything to do with the actual that's murder. That's true. Yeah, that is that 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 is very true. That's all about just building in more toward his character. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Right. That is our um missives from the missionaries. Okay. Okay. Thank you, one and all. Most definitely. And um, we, we've got a meaty subject to get into today with oh, yeah. our film, I Am Not Your Negro. But, but there's always time for fun. Always time for fun. There's always time for fun. That sounds like that should be the slogan of a local kid's playground. You know, you're right. It should be. Except here on the Michelle Mission, it is the slogan for... Six degrees of Derville Martin. Six degrees of Derville Martin, which has its own sticker. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. And if if, this is now a real thing. And if I'm not tired enough, there may be an edited theme song. (laughs) (laughs) But don't hold your breath. Um so six degrees of Derville Martin, but we're gonna do a little bit of a twist here. Ooh. For you, Vincent. Six degrees of Derville Martin with a twist. Yes. Okay. So you have your choice. Okay. I mean, it's basically the same game. Okay. Right. But we will connect to act. We will connect an actor to Derville Martin in right. six moves or less. Exactly. Okay. But do you want to do this by connecting via just the actor? So okay. Naming the actor, and then you got to go to an actor, to an actor, to a boom, 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 boom. Yes. Or do you want to do this naming a movie? So a Delvero Martin movie and then to another movie, to reach another movie. I'm not sure what the difference is because if you go from actor to actor, I'd have to connect him in a movie. Well, the difference is, is that by naming a movie, it gives you a set of actors to start with as opposed to the whole filmography of Delvero Martin where you can just choose your movie to begin with. So you're saying like I would like if if I did the movie version and I did Rosemary's Baby, which right. I still have not gotten over the fact that somehow Derville Martin was in <laughs> Rosemary's Baby and I don't really mess with Rosemary's Baby, so I'm certainly not watching it again just for Derville. Just to prove it. Just to, like I'm not going to sleep for 5 nights 
just so I can say Derville Martin played the doorman. Derville, I mean, but Rosemary Baby is all about drama and it's tension. It's so creepy. It's creepy. It is so scary. And it's like that kid stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so if I say I'm going to start with the actor, I'd start with Derville Martin and I'd have to jump to um, Mia Farrow. But if I start with, say, the movie, you would just say, okay, Rosemary's Baby, go. I would say, yeah, but I, okay, so if you started with the movie, I would say Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. right? And then you could take any actor mm-hmm. that acted with Derville Martin from Rosemary's Baby to get to the other forever. actor. As opposed to if I said Derville Martin, you could just pick a movie. Right. Any movie from his filmography as a starting point. I'm going to pick Derville Martin. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, something told me you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier. I mean, you know, we'll see. <laughs> we will see. That's right. Because you got six. You got only got six. Moves. Only got six moves. Okay. Okay. So. Derville Martin 2. Derville Martin 2. And I didn't map this out yet. So I don't know. Okay. All right. We're in the undiscovered country. The undiscovered country. Derville Martin. Oh, that's a good one. You made me change the person I was going to choose to William Shatner. Derville Martin to William Shatner. This is extremely difficult for me because I don't know any Shatner except the Star Trek movies. <laughs> it's pretty much all you need. Mm. Uh, uh, I'm there already. Oh, I think I'm going to be there in a second. Okay, okay. Derville Martin to oh shit, Derville Martin to um Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite. Rudy Ray Moore to Yafet Kodo and Truck Turner. Yafet Kodo, Nichelle Nichols, Nichelle Nichols to Shatner. Boom. Wow, that was good. Yeah. I got there a lot sooner, but that was very good. How'd you get there sooner? Because Derville Martin. Now, okay. Because I didn't look. And up. I don't think I said this. Uh, Rudy Ray Moore to Yafet Koto in the monkey hustle. Right. You didn't say that. Yeah. But, but, I, but I knew that's where you were going. Yeah. If I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Derville Martin shows up in Dr. Was it Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde? Didn't he show up no, in that? No, he's not in that. I thought he showed up in that. It's not in that at all. Oh, well, then I didn't get there. Because yeah. I was going there to Bernie Casey, and then Bernie Casey was in a Star Trek movie. Yeah, he was. He played a captain. Yeah. 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 So, But he's not in Dr. Black, Mr. Hyde. No, he's not. And now I'm, I'm, I don't think Bernie Casey was in a Star Trek movie. I think that was. Uh, I think that was. I know exactly who you're talking about. The other guy. <laughs> but I know 100 percent who you're talking about. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, so I got to him. What did I do? You did. So, you got so I did. Three Rudy Ray Moore, Yafet Koto, Nichelle Nichols. Yeah, in three moves. Three moves. Okay, that was good. That oh, was very yeah. good. That's very good. That's very good. I, I bet he was in a, a, a Bernie Casey movie, though. But I'm not, now I'm not sure if Bernie Casey was in a Star Trek movie. I got to look it up. I'm sorry. Because it, it'll 
bother me. And then I, I wanted because I think the the actor's name is actually is it Paul Winfield. <laughs> that's you're thinking about Paul Winfield. That's no, that sounds right. Like yeah, I Paul can, Winfield. yeah, Paul Winfield played a captain yeah, in one of Paul the movies Winfield. or Winfield. an admiral. Right, right. right. They always he, a, gets the, he gets the worm. Okay, that's that's on the show. No, no, no. Because remember him and Chekhov. Oh, right, right. The worm. That, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So they were in Khan. Right. Okay. Right. right. Got Con, you. Con. Got that's you. not Bernie Casey. That's, that's not that, Bernie that, Casey. That is Paul <laughs> right. Right. So I was all wrong. You was you were all wrong. Got I'm, you. I'm 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 still on Durville. Got you. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> oh man. We okay. got Tom. Let's do another one. Do another quick one. All right. Cool. See if right. we do another one. All right. All right. I like you picking them because you real random. <laughs> All right, then I'll do my first person. Who's your first person? Then I'll do my first person. Okay. Derville Martin. Derville Martin to Farrah Fawcett Majors. Farrah Fawcett Majors. Interesting. She's another one. See, I don't know. I don't I I picked her. Like the only film work I can really think of her is Ten. She's not ten. That's Bo Derek. Yeah, there you go. I don't even. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I was picking her, and then I was like, "Did she do?" I mean, she had to have done a movie. I mean, well, yeah, her he, her big dramatic claim to fame was the Burning Bed. She was, and I don't know, but that was a TV, and that movie. was a TV movie. That was a TV movie. Yeah, that's a bad choice. That was a bad choice. That's a All bad right. choice. All right. All right. Strike that. All right. Strike Farrah Fawcett. We'll go back. Derville Martin. Derville Martin. <laughs> to Meryl Streep. <sighs> I don't know how we go there. <sighs> Derville Martin and Meryl Streep. Yeah, this is hard for me because that's sort of 80s Oscar Beatty type, those actresses. I get them, I, I, they all run together for me. With Meryl Streep, I actually can't think of anything off the top of my head that Meryl Streep was in. Are you serious? Sophie's Choice, um, Kramer versus Kramer, uh, Bridges of Madison County, um, uh, Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> is she? Is, no, she's not a devil. If I, I think that's going close. Yeah, see. Um. Okay. I mean. Okay. But I. I would right on with a bunch of them. Uh uh-uh. oh. Oh. Don't knock down Eartha. Yeah. Don't knock down Eartha. Um. You do it. I'm trying to think. I know you're gonna throw it back at me. So Daryl Martin too. Because I was gonna try and get him there through Catherine Hepburn. Mm. Mm. Mm, Catherine Hepburn didn't live long enough. She wasn't acting long enough. She kind of like retired by the time Meryl Streep like came up because the last film was on Golden Pond. Um, so Derville Martin. Wait, but she was in on Golden Pond with Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda and Jane Fonda. You can't get from Jane Fonda to Meryl Streep. This seems like this is right down. Yeah, but your alley is connecting them to, to Derville Martin. Derville Martin to Catherine Hepburn to Jane oh. Fonda. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. and then You're you got right. you just got to get from Jane Fonda to Meryl, to Meryl Streep. Street. Okay, so Jane Fonda was in. 
Jane Fonda was in Nine to Five with Lily Tomlin, Tomlin, Dabney Coleman, and Dolly Parton. How do you get to Jane? How do you get to Meryl Streep with them? I think Meryl Streep, did she do one of those big women movies? Um, See, but see, now you're with me. I'm telling you, Meryl Streep gets. It's like that 80s jumble. They're hollering at and me. And then I, I then I mix her up with Sally Field and like all of them kind of run together for me. Oh, 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 uh, uh, um, oh, no. That that becomes her. That's not Meryl Streep. I don't know where they Oh, they're on Farrah I think they're on Farrah Fawcett. Oh. I knew Farrah Fawcett was in a movie. What was she in? Logan's Run. Yeah, but who else is in Logan's Run? Michael York. Somebody black in Logan's Run, too. That might be a way to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've watched the movie back maybe three, four times. I always. Wait a minute. So I'm on Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> y'all, y'all don't know it, but Lynch just reined me in real quick because you know, know. you know, I was about to get on Logan's Run. You know, I was gone. You, we were about to start talking about Logan's Run for like 15 minutes. You were gone. Um. <laughs> Jane Fonda to Meryl Streep. I'm having a hard time because I want to go nine to five. But that's uh, Dolly Parton. Lily Tomlin, Dabney Coleman. Yeah, Dabney Coleman. Uh, he he went TV hard. I don't know how Dolly Parton or or Dabney, Lily Tomlin I mean, are going to help. Well, Dolly Parton was then in um, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Okay, and um, oh. She was also in Steel Magnolias. So Jane Fonda to Dolly Parton. That was the movie I was thinking of. And then Steel Magnolias. There's a bunch of them in there. I know. It's like Shirley MacLaine. It's Sally Field. It's Daryl Hannah. It's, uh, what's old girl's name? I just forgot old girl's name. Who's another one of them? Oh, 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 oh. Okay, 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 okay. This is definitely going to go over six. All right, so Derville Martin was in... Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who's coming with, with Catherine Hepburn. Hepburn. All right, so Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn is in On Golden Pond with Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda is in Nine to Five with Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is in Steel Magnolias. Is in Steel Magnolias with Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. That's Shirley, who I was trying to think of. Shirley MacLaine is in. Terms of endearment with oh, Art. That's not him. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Shirley McLean is in Turn Sir I was there. I was there. I was there. Oh, hold on, hold on. Cause Shirley McLean got me there. Hold up. Be quiet for a second. Yeah, this all you I can't help you. Shirley McLean was in Terms of endearment with Jack Nicholson, and Jack Nicholson is with Meryl Streep Jack in Ah oh, Shiza. That's not her. Oh, frick of frack of frack of frack. Damn. Ah, I messed up. Mm. I messed up. No, Shirley McLean. Shirley McLean is in. Ooh, ooh, what's the movie with 
Clint Eastwood where she plays the nun. She plays a nun with Clint Eastwood oh, in the movie. Is that like a bullet for sister? Not a bullet. Yeah, yeah something like a burrow or something for, for sister. A mule, a mule for sister Shirley McLean. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. She, yes. Oh, what's that movie? Um, I said, a, oh, what's that movie? Um, oh. Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Two Mules. Thank, thank you, Aaron Fry. Yeah. She's in that with Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. who was in Bridges of Madison County with Meryl Streep. Okay. There you go. There you go. Woo. Yeah, that's 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 a black spot for me. That sort of 80s boomer. Wow. Yeah. White woman movies. I enjoyed that. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Thank you, Aaron Fry, who came up for two. I didn't feel bad getting the title from him because I knew the movie. I yeah, 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 yeah. We were. I mean, we had title. gotten mules and yeah. sisters, and <laughs> that was an interesting way to go too, going through Clint Eastwood. Right, because I was trying uh, where I was trying to get to, and I messed it up with with Jack Nicholson. I was trying to get to Robert De Niro because I was trying to get to the Deer Hunter because she's in the Deer Hunter. Robert De Niro, oh. and, I, and I and I messed it up. How about that? You, you can't really get from Jack Nicholson to Robert De Niro that quickly, or yeah. not as quickly as you think you could. Right. I, to be honest, you would have thought the two of them had been in a movie. Before, yeah, but they haven't. Yeah, and when you said it just now, I, I realized that. Yeah. Right, which is why I was like, "Oh, this is the way to go," and I was like, yeah. "Ah, no." So anyway. Who's, right. who's in One Flew of the, Over the Cuckoo's That's Nest? That's Jack Nicholson. With with Nicholson. Like, who else is in that? Danny DeVito. Um, that's really the other name that I know. Yeah. Uh, I think the Nurse Ratchet is Louise Fletcher, I think is her name. But, I mean, like, you know, she's a character actor. I mean, she would go on to be on. I think Louise Fletcher is the old black actress. All right. Like then, Louise Fletcher might who's be. Who's the woman that plays Nurse Ratchet? Because she would then turn up. Oh, on, I don't know. She would then turn up on Deep Space Nine. Okay. Um, as Cal Wynn. Um. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I've never made that connection. Yeah, yeah. That's Nurse Ratchet. That's Nurse Ratchet. Um. Now I got to look up Nurse Ratchet. See, you you get me in these. <laughs> get me in these things. But it is fascinating that Derville Martin. Was in these spaces. Most definitely. Nurse Ratchet. Um, yeah, Louise Fletcher. Mm-hmm. No, Louise Fletcher was the name of the black actress who played, like, she played, like, the mother in, um, we just saw her today in Imitation of Life. No, maybe there's another Louise Fletcher, but yeah. this is Louise Fletcher. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Louise Fletcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we've talked about a Louise Fletcher. Yeah, Kai Wynn, Adani in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. All right. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Well, this has been fun. Hey, you brought up a a topic. Yes. That I wanted to touch on. But before I do, I want to invite each and every one of you um, who are checking out this podcast. And if you like this lovely podcast, 
because Vince in, indulges me and I appreciate it, I invite you to check out my other podcast. Yes, I have another podcast. Yes. It's called The Rule of Man. The Rule of Man. It's available at theruleofman.com and everywhere the good podcasts be. It's where me and some guys sit down and we talk about manhood, answering questions that are sent in by women what was the last question that you all answered the most recent um episode which in new episodes um go up every monday so mm -hmm. new episode went up yesterday monday with man the question was oh you can answer this how important are gender norms in um raising uh uh in your relationship i think it's case by case oh i think it's case by case what do you mean by that i i think well how how important are they in your relationship i, I think it's case by case i th <laughs> i think um you know obviously it's very egalitarian in my household you, you know everybody cooks everybody kind of does this that, and the other mm -hmm. but at the same time i'm a door opener okay you, you know i'm a door opener i'm a um well are there certain chores the that camille is expected to do no okay. not expected but at the same time it's sort of like the flip i would never ask her to cut the grass why not it just feels weird oh. that's what i mean like everybody washes the dishes but like I'm gonna cut the grass. What if she said, hey, "Dad, I, can you teach me how to cut the grass?" I mean, I'll teach you, but it's weird, and I'm like, I, I would never expect it from you. Okay, but what if she asked? You would do it. Would I mean, you teach I, her? I would teach her. Yeah, sure. If you want to learn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'm just curious. Right, so right. you would teach her, and then would you then say, "Hey, why don't you go mow?" I would never say that. <laughs> and to be clear, I'm. Like probably next summer, Adam's going to be out there helping to like sweep grass and 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 do Adam's stuff. five. Yeah, he'll be six next year. He's going to be holding a dustpan. Yeah. Okay. That's how I started. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. So that's a norm, but it really is. Does Camille take out the trash? No. You have a problem with her taking out the trash? I don't. It just feels weird. Like it feels like, like I take out the trash. Okay. Next year, Adam will be taken up. Right, 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 right. Exactly. I mean, that's uh, you look. I don't look. It's not fair. Mm. But I, I do. It, there are some things that I feel like as a man I should be doing. I I, I hear you. Yeah. But I'm just curious. Like you know, how, the question is how important. Right. It's so funny. We were having a um someone someone around us was having a uh real quick Deborah Battle, the person in imitation of life that you were thinking of was Louise Beavers. Louise Beavers. Yes. Yeah. Which sounds nothing like Fletcher. No, no. So go ahead. You were having a conversation. No, no, there was a conversation this weekend about bringing plates to people. Like bringing a plate. Mm -hmm. You know, like you had or fixing a plate for your husband. Oh. Or fixing a plate. What was the conversation? You know, I would, I've never fixed a plate for my husband or, and then it was like, well, sometimes I fix a plate for my husband and sometimes my husband fixes a plate for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I mean, that's like, I would never do that. 
you would never do what? Fix expect it. some woman to fix my plate. Like, expect it. No, I wouldn't expect like, it. Like, sit at a it's, table and... Yeah, like how you see it in the TV. Right. Uh, like, you know, of old or movies. Right, old, right, they right. And they just sit down. And right, right. I'm just a plate will appear. Yeah. No, I would never expect right. I would never expect that. Like, I'm happy if someone fixes me a plate. But mm-hmm. also, I have also fixed plates. Right. For my wife. Hey, right. use a plate. See, I grew up, my um, my image of, of a man was set by my father mm-hmm. and my brother-in-law. My, my, both are unfortunately no longer here. But my, my older brother, especially my older brother-in-law, Gary, and how he treated my older sister. Mm-hmm. And it never shocked me. But like Gary, there was, there was no more street straight up nigga than mm-hmm. than Gary. I mean he wasn't a thug. But right, I mean right, he was right. definitely very comfortable in the street. Sure. And everybody loved fluent in that language. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yet when and and it, he was like that at home too. He was just cool as whatever. I was like, well, how do how come Gary gets gets away with cursing around you, Mom? He's like, eh, it's Gary. Right. Like, right. That don't seem fucking fair and then I get bust upside the head. Right. But 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 that notwithstanding Gary would wake up an hour early mm-hmm. every day, Monday through Friday, get up, make himself a cup of coffee. That way there'd be a, a, a pot of coffee for my sister. Mm-hmm. And he would make and pack my sister's lunch. Okay. Every single day. Right. And and that's just the way he rolled. And I always appreciated that and i learned that that kind of like seeped into me right like that you know because one day i was just somebody was here and i was making something for him to eat just because it's what Mm -hmm. i do you know and that that's the way it's 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 supposed to be you just do what you do you know yeah you know not no norms gender norms never i don't know i don't I don't know if I ever laid into them. I mean, I guess I took out the trash, but there were times when if I couldn't make out the trash, like call Olivia, yeah, take take out the trash today. Yeah. I think that's where I get caught. Like, I don't have any expectations mm-hmm. for stuff I get, but I do tend to be more traditional about stuff I do. Yeah. Like, I'm very much a door opener. Well, and well, a, yeah, I'm adorable. And, a, and, and again, a grass cutter or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. All right. Rule of man. Rule of man podcast. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Um, like and follow us and uh, tell a friend because it's a really cool show. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy it. We're actually enough of that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into our review. Yes. Of I am not your Negro, but you brought up an interesting observation from watching the film. Yes, there is a moment where there we'll talk about this. There's a lot of footage mm-hmm. of James Baldwin. James Baldwin was very much what we would call a public intellectual. Mm-hmm. So he would go on talk shows. He'd be on the speaking circuit, and there are several clips. Mm-hmm of Baldwin on talk shows Mm -hmm. and one in particular I actually took note of where where Baldwin is on the Dick Cavett show yes talking about the race question in America and and Dick Cavett has another guest Mm -hmm. who is a professor of philosophy from Yale Mm -hmm. 
A white man. A white man. And that's the show. Like, the show is Baldwin and this philosophy professor talking about the race question. And there was another guest. Like, there was a white woman on the, on the end, and I, yeah. I wasn't sure who she was, but she wasn't in the conversation yeah, at I think all. she had been, came out on panel first. Right. Like, but it was just very serious. Mm-hmm. And and there was this, th- this period in talk shows, like we talked about, where it wouldn't necessarily get that deep. Right. But I have vague memories because, you know, very young, but like Mike Douglas mm-hmm. and the Dinah Shore show and Dick Cavett. Yeah. Frankly, where like no one was there to sell stuff. You know, oh, I'm going to be in, you know, Intellectual Property Man 3, mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith. Right. Or, you know, I got an album coming out. It's going right. to be on Apple Music. Right. No, I'm just here to talk about things it's an interesting story to tell or right or i'm an interesting guest Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. after about five to seven minutes we're going to bring out another interesting guest yes and we're going to have a conversation yeah and it it really was a a throwback to a different time that that you don't see no you don't you don't um you know i remember when those type of conversations like you would always see those type of conversations on a show like dick cabot mm-hmm. dick cabot for for our younger listeners was pretty much a talk show host of the 60s and 70s maybe a little bit of the 80s but mostly 60s and 70s and he was definitely known for doing more long-form interviews mm-hmm. more thought-provoking interviews um, while you know he could talk to the entertainers left and right, but because it would be long form, they w- it will go past just talking about you know whatever you're promoting and just get into like some serious questioning and, and things of that nature. Right. And um, so he would naturally have an intellectual like um J- James Baldwin on, you know, and he had many of the intellectuals of the day. Yes, on on his show. Um, they were on his many shows because the cabin had a lot of shows, which mm-hmm. speaks to like, yeah, it was kind of cool to see that on TV. Maybe there's a reason why you didn't really see it a whole lot on TV because a lot of people maybe weren't watching it, right? But there was actually a time when some of the you could find some of these same similar questions happening on places such as The Tonight Show. With mm-hmm. Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson sometimes would bring out somebody from middle America, but also he would sometimes bring on some f- professor who just had an interesting theory. Um, you know, he was, uh, um, Johnny Carson, I think, was very interested in like the whole space program. So sometimes he would have like rocket, sh- rocket scientists on just mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, some interesting, uh, uh, breakthrough. Mm hmm in science um and those days are a day of the past like a thing of the past like now like you said pretty much people come on to just uh, hawk their wares right maybe bs with you for about five seven minutes right play a silly game right and then they're out to wash rinse repeat the same thing right on the next talk show you know the bad thing you remember the last guest i i remember 
that was coming on periodically, you know, nothing to sell. They would just come on. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first couple of years that Jimmy Fallon took over the Tonight Show? Bill Cosby would show up periodically. No, I didn't. I I, I didn't. Bill Cosby would come and just, just riff. Really? Right. Like, and you know, he did Philly stuff with the roots and, Hmm. and he just sort of, and you know, obviously that doesn't happen anymore with Bill Cosby. But it was no. it was striking because he wasn't there to sell anything, mm-hmm. which and and you know, Norm Macdonald I think maybe would do that too to a certain extent on Letterman, yeah, where he would come on Letterman. Yes, I do remember, and Norm- and, and Norm- you know, Letterman just loved Norm Macdonald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it it really is it's it's a shame that yeah. that there isn't a real venue for that. The 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 people in the chat are really um, blowing up that Dick Cavett. Well, first of all, you can see many of his interviews on YouTube. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but they're talking about he did many interviews, sit downs with Muhammad Ali. Yes, and he actually, did. Actually, if you watch any do- documentary on Muhammad Ali, you usually see Muhammad Ali talking to one of two people: Howard Cosell, right, of course, or Dick Cavett. I feel like there was a collection of Muhammad Ali interviews. I think there with was with Dick Cavett. Uh, at yeah, one yeah, point. yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised because yeah. they they talk more than a few. Right, times. and and like you said, they they it, they were long form, mm-hmm. and it really was a venue for Muhammad Ali to to get his thoughts out. Right, and it's interesting to watch. And they respected each other. Like they had a respect Howard for one another. Cosell, yeah. which they had a similar type, you know, more jovial, mm-hmm. but that respect was there. Yeah, that respect was there because if I remember on one of those interviews, and I may be conflating it with something else, but I seem to remember Dick Cavett, if not in the interview, then maybe in the commentary about the interview, Mm -hmm. uh, stating that he mentioned to Ali how, because this was one of their later sit-downs, he you know, he was seemed to be slowing down. His speech was mm-hmm. slowing down. Mm-hmm. It's like so, like is this going to be the final fight? Kind of like, kind of hint at him, like you know, right. like, yo, you might want to be stepping out because the the shame of it is when you watch any archival footage of Muhammad Ali, and never mind like when he's in the ring or right after a fight and he's just pontificating or whatever. Um, and don't look at any of his, you know press conferences where he's just you know bloviating a little bit sure and sure to uh, to my chagrin and reason why i still kind of knock muhammad ali down a notch in my eyes oh, the way boy. that he came at J- joe well, frazier come to philly stuff well i mean no it's not it's not <laughs> it's not the philly stuff. i know i know it's, it's rightfully he came wrong he did he frazier. did and i think and i think history has bared that out well, I don't know about that, but um, regardless of that, but you also want some Philly stuff. Regardless of that, okay, all right. <laughs> regardless of that, I think the interesting thing, like you said, is that when he does sit down with Dick Cavett, mm-hmm. where he it, um in the sixties and seventies, and he's not performing, he's not as performative. Yeah, he's a he's a comes across as a very charming, educated, thoughtful, where thoughtful, yeah, man, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's very cool. So those definitely cool interviews, yeah, to check out, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. All right, but certainly that is something that we will talk about 
soon. Yes. Let's get into our review of I Am Not Your Negro. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. Any white man in the world says, give me liberty or give me death, the entire white world applauds. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one, and everything possible is done to make an example of this bad nigger so there won't be any more like him. The story of the Negro in America is the story of America. It is not a pretty story. Most of the white Americans I've ever encountered surely have nothing whatever against Negroes. That's really not the question. Really a kind of apathy and ignorance. You don't know what's happening on the other side of the wall because you don't want to know. In America, I was free only in battle, never free to rest. We need to take action, any kind of action, by any means necessary. They needed us to pick the cotton, and now they don't need us anymore. Now they don't need us, they're going to kill us all off. There are days when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, is why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. And you gotta find out why. And the future of the country depends on that. I Am Not Your Negro is a 2016 documentary and social critique directed by Raoul Peck, based on James Baldwin's unfinished manuscript, Remember This House. Narrated by Samuel Jackson, the film explores the history of racism in the United States through Baldwin's recollections of civil rights leaders Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King, as well as his personal observations of American history. Directed by Raoul Peck, written by James Baldwin. Narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, this was the choice of Lynn Webb as we continue our steady march towards episode 300 here on the Michelle Mission. Lynn, how would you like to begin our conversation about I am not your Negro? Well, the first thing I want to begin with is just a slight, it's not necessarily necessarily a correction but a a clarification the film is not so much narrated by samuel jackson samuel jackson is reading the uh letters Mm. um that james baldwin sent to his publisher at the time proposing this book idea Mm -hmm. and then from there samuel jackson is reading text from the 30 pages mm-hmm. of this um, book that James Baldwin wrote. Mind you, these 30 pages were, this was a project that was 
pitched in the 70s. Yeah, 79. And by the time that James Baldwin uh, passed away, and and I think he not too too long ago. Yeah, well, passed away in 1987. Mm-hmm. Um, he had only written these 30 pages, and and it's from there that Samuel Jackson is is reading basically those his words, which is why this film only has the two real credits mm-hmm. directed by Raoul Peck and written by James Baldwin because right. very, this. These are his words. Mm-hmm. These are his thoughts. And these are his, uh, as you mentioned, his recollections of his relationship with these three men who he considered, he considered them friends. He calls them friends in the film. Um, Megar Evers, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, all three of these men, Titans of the civil rights movement in the in the 60s um mega ever's name maybe a little bit lost to history for some mm-hmm. um, maybe doesn't ring out as loudly as king and, and malcolm x but no no less of a titan of the civil rights movement all three of these men tragically uh shot down mm-hmm. and lost their life as pointed out in the film before the age of 40. Yeah. You know, which is, um, which is, is incredible. It is, it, 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 and it becomes more incredible every day, especially once you reach a certain age and you realize just how young that really is. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when you're, when you're, 18 is like, oh my God, they died in their thirties. When we, you know, you're in your fifties, like, wow, they died in their thirties. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they had their life taken away from them for no other reason than because of they were a part of the fight for change mm-hmm. in this country. And, um, this, this was the the story that James Baldwin at this point in his life felt that he wanted to tell. James Baldwin, a noted author, writer, poet, and intellectual, mm-hmm. as you pointed out. Um, a man who, you know, put his money where his mouth is in the late 40s and 50s where he got tired of being treated like a second-class or third-class citizen in his country and left, Mm -hmm. settled in Paris, where he was living his life where, yes, he was a Negro living in Paris, but he wasn't a nigga Mm -hmm. in Paris. And that was... And he, he... He recognized that difference and and relished it over there in Paris. Yet it was there watching the fights for civil rights as it bubbled up here in America and more specifically um, where he saw the excuse me, the fights for the integration of schools Mm -hmm. here in America and that he felt moved that 
he could no longer be there, you know, and and pontificate from Paris. He needed to be in the midst of it. He he felt moved to return here and and knew that his voice and his stance would be all the more credible if it was coming from from the shores from which he w- was railing against. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't railing against as he he points out time and time again in the, in this film. He wasn't so much r- railing against white people and he wasn't so much railing for black people. He was railing against America mm-hmm. itself, seeing America as a whole and that until America as a whole dealt with this issue there was not going to be any peace in the streets and the the issue was that all of this this animus that had been created in the 60s uh, well it wasn't created in the 60s mm-hmm. it was created 400 years ago mm-hmm. when the white man in his words, needed a nigga mm-hmm. and brought black people against their will to this country. And until America reconciled with that was the reason why we are here, where we are, then we would never be able to go but so much further. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, and that... and. And at the core of everything that he was saying, at least as it was coming across to me, that was what the core of everything that that he was saying. And he was he was uh, uh, intelligent. He was he was uh, forceful, but without being damning in the way that he got his message across. He was brave because he was telling this message to black audiences and he was telling this message to white audiences. Mm -hmm. This documentary, which is filled, like you mentioned, with archival footage of him from talk shows, is also filled with archival footage of him standing in the midst of academia in, in white America as well. And every place his message is exactly the same. It doesn't matter the audience. Um, and it was, it was powerful. Um, it was, it, it, it was striking. And the scary part about it, even though why should we should be surprised? It was prescient because mm-hmm. it was, words that were needed for the for the day and as the footage of this film so smartly put together by raul peck uh shows it were words that still resonate Mm -hmm. today as well um this film was made in 2016 and when you think about all the different you know protests and things that have happened over the last couple of years here in america they still had stuff from 2014 and 15 I and know. 16 to put in this film I because know. the fight has never ended. Mm-hmm. They had footage from the 50s. They had footage from the 60s. They had footage from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the 2000s and the 2010s because the shit don't stop. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm slamming hard on my brakes right now because I saw this movie in the theaters in 2016 with a group of friends and I'm pretty much a very even keel guy. Very few films, no matter how crazy they are, get me riled the fuck up. Mm -hmm. This movie got me riled the hell up. Mm -hmm. And I was not in a good headspace watching, you know, after watching that film in a room that was when I watched it in the theater with predominantly white people. Sure. And watching this film again for this exercise. Mm hmm got me riled up all over again because one i'm watching this from from a critical space well i there is nothing to critique here this documentary as documentaries go is outstanding Mm -hmm. it is amazing i love documentaries that basically just are are all in the whoever the subjects it's their voice Mm -hmm. and and this is 100 his voice you forget that it's samuel jackson reading his pages and you hear and because there's enough of james baldwin's voice you know actual voice in the film i hear james baldwin reading those pages Mm -hmm. because it sounds so much like his speech patterns and everything of that nature and he he and his words are so so intelligent but there are also moments where he is pained and the pain is like palpable. He says things like, you know, he is terrified at the moral apathy in my country, mm-hmm. you know, because never, even though he, he did live in Paris, he can't even return to America. He never disowned America. Right. He never said like, you know, in America, this is my country. I am an American. You know, he said, we are Americans. He's, he, he's very poignant about that. He speaks about, you know, taking a ride with Megar Evers who fought hard for, you know, segregation down in Mississippi before he was tragically assassinated in the sixties. He he speaks about Megar Evers, um, pointing out a tree that he passed every day after he left, left his home where he saw a lynching mm-hmm. and, and every time he passed the tree, just remembering, you know, as he saw the leaves blow, just remembering how he saw, you know, you know, uh, 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 a person swaying in in the tree, right? There's and there's so many uh, powerful moments like that, uh, like that in this film, and watching this film, like I think I mentioned it. You know, the crazy thing about it is like, I think we were maybe, maybe had just started. This. I know we actually talked about it a little yeah, bit. We yeah, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we had just started the show mm-hmm. when, when I had seen it. And um, and I, I'm pretty sure I may mention about that time. Like I knew of James Baldwin. Sure. But I wasn't, I you know, I, I put it out there. I'm not a big reader. So I mm-hmm. didn't, I just knew the idea of James Baldwin. And this introduced me to the man. I was like, mm. oh, my God, this man is in fucking incredible, mm-hmm. right? Um, and watching this all over again, you just have a, a, another appreciation. You talked about, like, you know, how it was so cool that you could just have intellectuals just 
um, on the screen talking. It was just so cool just having this, just knowing this guy was walking the streets. I know. Man, just know that there, there was this man who just just living just just that that mind was out there and so 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 vibrant and so thoughtful it was just just freaking amazing man um i felt myself getting like really really angry at the imagery in this movie because mm-hmm. in it's it's archival footage, you know, watching when the young, young lady is trying to just go to school, the first steps in school and all these, these ignorant people just making all types of, um, faces, names behind her. And what was all and and pictures of, Oh my God, there is such a picture. Thank God they waited till the end of the movie, but it's so, so um like terrifying the pictures of people who have been lynched yeah and them hanging in the tree yeah um and seeing the you know how their bodies and their necks are distorted because of what happened oh my god it is fucking excruciating man and what is all the made all the more excruciating by that is that in every one of those images you see a whole bunch of white people standing around yeah checking oh, it yeah. out but it's not just that you see the white people standing around because it's not just adults it's these it's their children oh yeah they got their children sitting there and you know they're still alive exactly and you know they're still alive man yeah. and this and, and they've just been indoctrinated by this bullshit and man do i this fuck i don't even know what the fuck to say look this was just a um an amazing documentation of a time in america you know, the tragedy is the assassination of Mega Evers. The tragedy is the assassination of Martin Luther King. The tragedy is the assassination of Malcolm X. And this film smartly, well, I, well to be fair, I don't know how smartly is, is a, just a matter of what it had to work with. It doesn't get into the the politics of why each of these men were assassinated. It mm-hmm. doesn't try to relitigate the case for each man's assassination. That's stories for another time. Right. Right. This, this documentary is about James Baldwin's relationship with these men and looking at race in America through that lens um, and looking through, through the lens of, of the individual fight that they each um, were a part of. And also to be fair, this film is taking only 30 pages of what was proposed to be a a full book mm-hmm. so you have to imagine and and because the the as the pages are read by samuel jackson you know there's a piece where he's uh reading about medgar it's a piece about malcolm this piece where he's talking about race in general about martin so you got to figure that james uh baldwin was probably 
jumping around as far as in his writing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably just writings. You know, uh, 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 you know, just just writing. You know, uh, stream of consciousness. And then, you know, you put it together later and you mm-hmm. got to the 30 pages. So so who know who knows where the story could have gone? I read some reviews about this. About the documentary, how the documentary doesn't really touch on uh, James Baldwin's um, sexuality. Right. Except for that one except for, mention except, w- from the FBI. Right. Except yeah. for the reading from the FBI mm-hmm. um, file. And. um that didn't bother me at all because okay. at the end of the day, this is not the biography of James Baldwin. Right. This is James. This is James Baldwin's writings being brought to life and being illustrated upon. Right. So, who's to say that he maybe wasn't going to touch on his sexuality in this book? But also, to be fair, he's touched on his sexuality in all of his and a lot of his other writings. Sure. You know, so it's not like. It's not like he ever, you know, you know, uh, swayed away from that topic. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a topic. This was a, a different topic. So I don't I didn't think that that was a fair criticism to hold up against this this film because Raul Peck, his mission is to use that work. He didn't. Raul Peck did not inject any of himself into this film. You you can say that he took some editorial choices by with the imagery that he used. But as far as his voice, the voice is James Baldwin's voice. So I, I, I'm I'm fine with it not having more autobiographical, biographical information about James Baldwin. I'm fine with this being basically what James Baldwin was noted for, writing these very thoughtful, engaging, insightful, and challenging essays on America. And ultimately, that's what this film becomes. And I think it I said it when I when I saw this film the first time, I said it when we talked about it on the show. And I will say it again. This is a film that needs to be shown in schools. Mm -hmm. It needs to be it needs to be heralded. It needs to play on a loop. So like this should be like the I am not your Negro channel. And this film should just be playing on a fucking loop, man. Mm-hmm. Um, this film was absolutely amazing piece of film uh, uh, filmmaking, and I, I am so very thankful for being able to watch it again, even though it riled me up. This was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think I look at this documentary in, in two ways. I think just as you said, just as a documentary, mm-hmm. I really thought Raul Peck made some good choices mm-hmm. in the way it was put together. The, the The main one that you mentioned is the way he overlapped current footage mm-hmm. with Baldwin's observations and critiques of society mm-hmm. because so much hasn't changed and as you said even in four years yeah like like this quote-unquote current footage where where you showed uprisings and you showed protest and and you showed all of of this social activity it could have been taken from this summer yeah like it really is and 
I, I think Raul Peck did such a great job. There's an extraordinary moment where where James Baldwin recounts a conversation with Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And Bobby Kennedy and Lorraine Hansberry there. Well, th- there's that, but the moment I'm talking about is where Bobby Kennedy says, "In 40 years, oh yeah, you might there might be a black president." And James Baldwin is is so insightful in his critique about how a patronizing and condescending that is mm-hmm. for for you know Bobby Kennedy. Basically, if y'all are good enough, yeah, you might get a president, get a black president. B Kennedy doesn't realize this is an indictment of white people mm-hmm. and the like, like, like this isn't some type of liberal dream. Like the fact that you're saying this is an indictment of where you people are. Yes. And then they immediately cut to footage of 40 years later and Barack Obama. Yeah. So that years later, so that you see what Baldwin says about how America dehumanizes and and this you know this is this is baldwin like baldwin's observation that america needed a nigga for white people Mm -hmm. because so many white or white culture had no interiority no like they had no way to define themselves so they could only define themselves in opposition to this invented character and that's what it, they've been doing since. since they well, got here. right, and and you know, for me, again, look, Baldwin's one of my heroes. Like, like he's one of the few heroes that's not di- directly related to me. Mm-hmm. That's a hero, and and I get a lot of my thoughts and and beliefs about America and race directly from Baldwin. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a wonderful decision, just as a documentary. The other thing that I liked a great deal, and I will say this, some of this material doesn't just come from this 30-page treatment. Well, okay. A lot of this comes from Baldwin's collection of essays about films. Yeah. That, the Devil Finds Work. That's right. The Devil Finds Right. The way the documentary uses archival footage of 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 white films Mm -hmm. these sort of innocuous images but when you frame them the way baldwin does basically saying this is propaganda Mm -hmm. i thought that was so powerful like it's so powerful when you see these these images of golden age hollywood and Mm -hmm. it's white people in in beautiful evening wear Mm -hmm. it's white people in this sort of idyllic, idyllic um, uh, sub suburban settings mm-hmm. and the houses, but Baldwin is very again insightfully saying that all of this is propaganda. Yeah, and then it cuts to the reality as a as an image or 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 portrait of Baldwin. What, what I put in my notes in a lot of ways, this is almost like a Whitman sampler of James Bond. Like you as you said, I think this serves as a wonderful introduction mm-hmm. to Baldwin to then send you in different directions. And it's probably not surprising that the part that I enjoyed the most, speaking of the Devil Finds work, the section where he's talking about Sidney Portier 
and Harry Belafonte and the power of films. And this is how I know, because this is directly from the Double Fine's work, is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely extraordinary how James Baldwin talks about these images Mm -hmm. and the power of these images. And guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who's coming to dinner? In the heat of the night, mm-hmm. the defiant ones. You know, I have to say, like, like in full disclosure, I parrot a lot of the stuff I got from him. Like, if you listen, like, I'm really just channeling Baldwin badly and coarsely. Like, I'm doing the the best I can with this mind. <laughs> but um, he really was this great mind. Mm-hmm. Like, he was this great mind and and so much so this is actually the second time we've talked about the power of baldwin we talked about if bill street could talk Mm -hmm. and we actually said during that critique that there are parts of if bill street could talk where 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 it's all this commentary on the prison system and all this commentary on basically systemic racism Mm -hmm. like baldwin was talking about systemic racism in 1962 right but there were parts of, of the film, if Bill Street could talk, that we said, you know, you sort of thought, well, you know, Barry Jenkins adapted this mm-hmm. and, and maybe he kind of updated it. Like but put in some of right. his thoughts. But right. I was reading it, reading the novel at the same time. And so much of the film that you think, oh, well, this must be a post Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. tweak. Mm hmm. No. Or or a post, um, you, you know, the new Jim Crow tweak, like everything Michelle Alexander talks about. Baldwin was talking about this in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just who he was. And I think the best thing about this documentary is that it does showcase this mind. Yeah. Like this great mind that, that as you said... Baldwin was always the most effective at looking inside. Like, like he wasn't interested in lashing out. Nope. He wasn't interested in, 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 in frankly, to a certain extent, pointing fingers. No. Like, like he really was talking about systems and, mm-hmm. and he was talking uh, uh, about America yep. in a way that I, I think many of us, are still catching up to now so that it is this this is this is this is an extraordinary documentary and if 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 nothing else it should be the first documentary like like there i I saw you know there's a documentary about his time in paris and Mm. and and but but like i want a documentary about those relationships because he talks about those relationships in some of his writing and i think like the fire next time he talks about he and Malcolm's relationship in particular, because they had a really interesting friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, I want a documentary actually about those friendships. I want to, you know, about, you know, I really want a documentary about his film criticism because it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You, you know, again, this mind mm-hmm. so that, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I don't know how much more you can add no. besides, everyone should watch this yeah, no, you cer- certainly should i i liked your bringing up um him them taking like the 
putting context to some of those film images, I like the whole idea, you know, and he mentions it about how, you know, for, for America or white America, if you will, give me liberty or give me death is something to be heralded right championed you know you put it on a cape wear it you know and you could see it in all these films with john wayne you know buck bucking all the all the indians and all that type of stuff and you know um yet when we say the exact same things we're criminalized Mm -hmm. you know um and and he and he and peck you know backs up all of that with receipts yeah oh yeah in this movie um i think it is it is absolutely uh astounding i see somebody in the chat saying we should do a documentary about baldwin's film criticism (laughs) oh man everybody wants this to (laughs) one special project at a time ladies and gentlemen we've got one we're working on now let me tell you something <laughs> don't get don't get Vincent started. Let me tell you. I gotta. Something. You, you can see. I gotta keep it on track. Let me tell you something. If someone wants to finance the Michelle Mission documentary on the Devil Finds work, hmm, mm. 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 yeah, hmm, hmm, mm. got my brain percolating, Vince. Because I've I've read it. A couple of times yeah i mean this is but, your will documentaries are your wheelhouse though. but oh no i'm just talking about the the book mm-hmm. the devil finds work but it was striking yeah seeing the images mm-hmm. as he was talking about it yeah yeah it was it was because you know I, I i enjoy the defiant ones too but i i think it's fair to say you like you you brought the defiant ones I to did. the show. I did. Baldwin talking about the defiant ones. Mm-hmm. You can always tell when I'm reading some James Baldwin because periodically I'll just be sitting there and I'll just mutter under my breath. God damn. <laughs> he talks about the defiant ones specifically about the moment when Sidney Poitier jumps off the train. He has pages talking about the defiant ones. Yeah. Talking about the 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 Speaking of, we were talking about gender norms mm-hmm. over the break, but he 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 talks about how the limitations of American masculinity mm-hmm. affects the relationships between men, mm. and then he talks about Chief Gillespie. Oh, from from and tips the in the heat of the night, and he talks about how this is an indictment of American masculinity. Like these men can't show the feelings they actually the actual have for feelings. each other. Yes. And, and he, 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 I actually, again, um, what, what is it that Picasso said? The, um, good artists, um, Oh, uh, like good, art, good artists, uh, are inspired by great artists. Steel steel. Right. Like I, basically said exactly what he said last week like i realized when i was watching it where i said oh shit i think i i think i just plagiarized james baldwin where i said uh harry belafonte could never have played mm-hmm. that role that's straight baldwin because mm. you, you know he he has this whole thing 
about Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier as sex symbols. Yeah, yeah. And the limits of how they move. And, and you know, again, he has a whole deal right. about um, guess who's coming to dinner. It's interesting. I mean, look, we, look, ladies and gentlemen. You don't even have to do but, this. But yes, if someone would like to finance and 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 sponsor a documentary about uh the devil finds work the film criticism of james baldwin as critiqued by the michelle mission we would certainly be open to that conversation yes yes but go ahead man we have a producer friend who i know is probably putting together a a, a deck for that yes. project right so, as so. we speak but go ahead um Look, I think it goes without saying that we both recommend that you watch this film, ladies and gentlemen. Um, stop the review right now. Go listen to it. Come back because we're just going to be shooting the shit for, for a little bit. It was kind of interesting and slightly weird mm-hmm. because of the, the archival footage that they show. There is a moment when they show all of these actors gathered together and I'm trying to remember exactly what they were all gathered together in protest for. It was um, Harry Belafonte because they were all on like this. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, that was, it was like Harry Belafonte, Sidney Poitier, Charlton Heston, Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando, and James Baldwin. And James Baldwin. Right. Yeah. And I forget, they, they were gathered together to speak with someone in protest of something. Right. right. I mean, they were civil rights, like, they traveled together. But it was interesting, it was only curious for me to watch, to see that scene, and Harry Belafonte is, is speaking very eloquently. Like yeah. I said, I, I see what I say about it, him as an actor, I've never knocked a man. Himself. Absolutely, you absolutely have not. Um... But it was interesting to see him sitting there next to Charlton Heston. Yes. Who is like a huge NRA. Right. He was a gun head. guy. Yeah. And and, and that's, that says some questionable things uh, over the past few years. But that was always the Charlton Heston thing. I know. Like sure. that was all like Charlton Heston really was a gun guy. Mm-hmm. Like he really was a Second Amendment guy. I think the 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 challenge that Charlton Heston never got past and appropriately enough I think that that philosophy professor had the same issue oh that philosophy professor was well you know he was just considerably an older gentleman and he was Charlton Heston could never see past his white maleness no no to the implications of the Second Amendment, where the Second Amendment comes, the way the Second Amendment has been utilized mm-hmm. by white men with guns. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't, I honestly don't think Charlton Heston was racist. I don't think Charlton Heston was, I think Charlton Heston meant well, but, you know, we know about the road to hell. But yeah, that was that was always the Charlton Heston thing. He was a huge civil rights dude. Yeah. He just liked guns. Yeah, true. Um it was also very interesting just watching, like you said, you mentioned um you mentioned uh Bobby Kennedy and the whole thing about the black president. And then I alluded to that Right, I was about was to say that, that Lorraine Hansberry. Yeah, go ahead. Lorraine Hansberry had actually uh, spoken to Bobby Kennedy 
um, saying that they wanted she and James Baldwin was there as well th- thought that it was a great opportunity for one of the Kennedys either Bobby or the president right they wanted the president to go down to Mississippi mm-hmm. and walk into the school with this yeah. young, young girl and yeah. and they thought that that would be a a pointless gesture yes for them to do to they do. being Bobby Kennedy and and through extension uh, JFK JFK yeah JFK and <clears throat> that was a very powerful moment, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and you, and Lorraine Hansberry basically just walked out the L- room. Look, they're, they're, his writing is so. He actually says he says after you know they have the exchange, he says, and then Lorraine smiled at him, mm-hmm. and she smiled at him in a way that I was so happy that she wasn't smiling right. at me. Right, and it told you everything you needed to know. About that smile. That's right. And, and she about got, Lorraine Hansberry. And about Lorraine Hansberry. And she got him left the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that didn't surprise me. hmm Because, and I kind of heard this whispered before, but I learned it e- even more lately. I've been listening to this podcast because I listen to podcasts. Yes. Yes. And one of my favorite podcasts is the, um, you must remember this, and they are doing right now in this season is all about Sammy Davis Jr. And yeah. Dean Martin. There it is. And there it is. My wife is rolling her eyes because this is my favorite Dean Martin story you're about to tell. Go ahead. And they talk about how at the time, because it, it, everybody heralds it, you know, the Rat Pack of yeah. Frank oh, Sinatra. That's right. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Peter Law, for all these guys, they were all, all down for Kennedy. Yes. They did everything. and Because and Peter Lawford was, was a, 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 like an a, in-law? An in-law a of, the, of, yeah, of, of, yeah. of the Kennedys. And that was the inroad. Right. And Frank Sinatra was trying to ingratiate himself hard. I mean, he was sucking hard at the feet of the Kennedys. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, he was. Um and lo and behold, Kennedy gets he he gets that's right. Nomination, Tell it, going to be the president. Tell it, Lynn. Shame the devil. And, and then time, what happened? Time for the inaugural ball. Mm-hmm. And Kennedy says, "Like, yes, Frank, you could come. That's and right, Dean. I want all you guys. Mm-hmm. Even Joey Bishop. Oh, even even Joey Bishop. Yeah, that's right. Who nobody like. Yeah, right, Joey. Yeah, that's Sam. Yeah, Sammy can't. That's right. Sam because Sam can't come because at the time that's, Sam was dating a white woman. He was married to May Britt. Ma- Ma- married to they May were married. Britt. That's right. That's right. They were, yeah, they, they were married. They May married. Britt. For those of you that don't they know, May Britt was a white woman, mm-hmm. and they don't mm-hmm. just recently. It's like can't have Sammy Davis Jr. there. That's right. With this, uh, with May Britt. Frank Sinatra would famously go to the inaugural. Yes, he did. With all of the other stars that were that were. That's there. right. I believe Joey Bishop and and you know Peter Lawford. Well, that's Peter Lawford, yeah, That's family. right. Who didn't go, Lynn? Dean Martin. That's right. Said, "Well, if Sammy's not going. I'm not going." Right. Right. I believe his official story was that he was otherwise um, detained. He, detained. He had something else to do that night, and Dean Martin slept at home that night and didn't go and did not go mm-hmm. did that's not right go because if sammy wasn't going to be there he wasn't if sammy's there. not going i'm not going that's right which <gasps> through all his faults just another re- and he had him another reason why i love myself some d martin yeah uh the the coda to that story is that is part of the reason that sammy davis and nixon 
had their little connection. That's true. That's true. Because Richard Nixon invited Sammy Davis to the White House, and Sammy Davis Jr. said that Richard Nixon was the first president to invite him to the White House. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that's kind of opened up everything that went along with that. But, I mean, Baldwin was there. Yep. Like, like that's the other great thing about James Baldwin, and, and it, he, he writes about that. Like, he had these relationships with these people who would go on to become legends and icons, mm -hmm. but he knew them. Yeah. You, you know, he knew them. I, I think, and they, they, they touch on this in the documentary, some of the saddest moments are when he talks about how he learned that each of these people died, yeah. and, and, and he has this just heartbreaking remembrance of Martin Luther King's funeral mm -hmm. and talks about how destroyed. And I think he said, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. actually reached out and, and helped him, you know, yeah, helped he him. was, he was overcome. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it's it. Yeah. He was there. He was right there. He was right there. The yeah. Yeah. So great, great, doc great, incredible documentary. It's a crime. This 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 did not win the Academy Award for Best Documentary. Yeah, yeah. It is absolute crime, and and not because the winner wasn't a good documentary. The winner was actually a very a very good documentary. I believe it was um, uh, OJ versus America. Oh, is that the year OJ won? Yeah, which is an excellent documentary. My problem with it winning is that it was a TV show. Right. That's a good ass documentary, though. <laughs> yes, told over five days. I know. It is ten hours. Uh, look, it's a TV show. I wish, won an Emmy. I wish they would have done that with this, because, like I said, it was a Whitman sampler, and we all love Whitman samplers, except for that weird coke, the that coconut thing, or that weird minty cream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't like that but either. you know, the thing about a sampler is that it's a sampler. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know. I haven't had a Whitman sample in years. I know. I really just use it as a reference. Yeah. You know why? Because I used to buy Whitman samplers for my mom, you mm -hmm. know, when I didn't know any better. Yeah. For my mom, like one year made made it a point to tell us, you know, you know, if y'all can give me some candy, y'all can give me some Godiva candy. And after that, it was the same thing happened. Same thing at, at one point my mom said to my dad basically, I like this. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, you remember the Whitman samplers would sit around and like like it was like two or three of them weird ones would mm -hmm. be left and then after like two weeks they just throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom was like, you know, you can just get me a whole one of what I like. Exactly. So that but it's it's a great reference for the Whitman sampler. And in a lot of ways, it was a great game when you were a kid. Oh yeah. Because it was like and my, before you realized, did you ever realize that they had the um the the whole the the whole seating chart? As yeah, they had right, right. You, underneath. Yeah. How old were you when you realized that? I think thirty. Yeah, <laughs> right. It was like, wait a minute, because you kind of went in and you you left it to God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you just left it to but God. That was the whole fun, right? You know, like, you based it on the shape, right? Or it'd be like the match game. Which one's the one I got last time? I think it looked like this, right? I Right. Yeah. Right. But then, you, you know, sometimes you get that weird minty one and then sometimes you catch that coconut. Yeah. And then it was like, all right, that's enough candy. Yeah. yeah. I caught the coconut. Yeah. Or then your sister would get the peanut butter one. It's like, that's not. Right. Let me have a bite. Right. 
No. Right, right, <laughs> right. So in a lot of ways, this is a kind of a Whitman sampler of James Baldwin. Of James Baldwin. Right. Although there is no weird coconut and there's no weird. No, no, it's all good. Yeah, it's all, all good. good. All so. good. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So, I mean, I guess we said it, but, you know, I like structure and order. I like to. I like to. I like to. Okay, Vince. Can you just tell you? So, I mean, we're, we had a parent-teacher conference mm-hmm. about my son today. And, you know, that'd be. Your five-year-old son at hey, a parent-teacher man, conference? Look, look, man. It's real in these academic streets. But his teacher told us that 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 you know he's doing extraordinarily well, of course, because he takes after his mother. But then he takes after his father because she said he does like to do things in one way, <laughs> like a certain way, like like he really does. He has to do it in this order and do this. And the whole time we were talking, Wendy was like elbowing me. She was like, "Well, I wonder where he gets that from?" Because mm-hmm. because I, I do, I, I do, I like structure, I like order, I like. I like things done a certain way. So if we're going to do it, we have to do it. So Lynn, would you recommend I am not your Negro? Yes. For the fourth time, I would (laughs) recommend wholeheartedly that everyone watch. I am not your Negro. What about you, Vincent? I would also recommend I am not your Negro. I would just, very strongly recommend. I would actually very strongly recommend everyone read James Baldwin, both his criticism and his fiction. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I'm not a big reader, right? But right. I think I will read the book on the film criticism. It's it's that. pretty That's remarkable. Right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, well, the, right, right. So the devil finds work. I will. I will that is his book of I'll, film criticism. Let's pick that up. You know what? Hey, my sister's always asking me what I want for Christmas. There you go. There, there you go. go. The devil finds work. All right. All right. Before we tell you what we're going to, um, Belinda Silver said, never heard Len so passionate, but I'm new here. Well, <laughs> I usually don't get that passionate. Right. This film, right. this film riled me the hell up. Right. It's funny. I've only got this riled up about one other film. Lethal Weapon 2. No. The magic is back. Um, and I actually believe I did choose it for later on down the line. Yes, I did. Um, it will we'll be getting to it in March. I'll, I'll, I'll point it out to you then. Okay. The film it's not Lethal Weapon 2. No. The we, magic is back. No, that didn't make the cut. That didn't the make the cut. On the road to 300, we no, haven't, it, we're not having not. done Lethal Weapon 2. No. We the need magic to pull the back. trigger on that. I know. <laughs> I told you I halfway want to do that one before we do <laughs> Lethal Weapon. Like, just jump right into Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> All right. Why not? Go ahead. Um, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you all to like and follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, um, that thing formerly called Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> and YouTube. Mama at, call it Facebook. I call it Facebook. <laughs> at the Michelle Mission. Email us all your thoughts and concerns to Mission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. Two men, one podcast. Every black film ever made you can go to the me show mission.com and hit swag to check out all of the cool designs and gifts we have available for you by way of our good friends at t public the 
Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. And if you really want to like and 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 help us out, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to help us is tell a friend. And if you can't tell a friend, then wherever you listen to our show, be it Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even especially if it's Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review because that truly helps people find our show all right all right all right next week is vincent's turn yes it is show mission yes it is for episode 279 yes it is and vince is taking us to that magical year of 1983 yes i am yes i am the first of two holiday themed films because i count this as a christmas film Oh really? I do. Okay. I do. Interesting. Interesting. I do. Having a bit of a resurgence. He's been making the rounds because of Ghost the Ghostbusters film. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd. Yes. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. And an actor that I'm going to argue fulfills the promise from Forty Eight Hours. One Eddie Murphy. Ooh. Trading places. Trading places. Trading places. Well, we are bringing out the classics. Oh, yeah. For the road to 300. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is a good palate cleanser for today. I'm looking forward to this. You got to cleanse your palate and make sure you're all right. Because, you know, karate man bleed on the inside. <laughs> so you make sure everything's cleansed and you're ready to get it out. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So, Trading Places next week on the Road to 300 here yes. on the Michelle Mission, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, each and every one of you who supports the show, watches us, checks us out. And I invite you to look on your podcast catcher this Wednesday. This, no, not Wednesday. On Friday. On Friday. Look on your podcast catcher because... The Michelle Mission will have a very special Star Trek-centric special presentation for you as Vincent and I finally, well, basically it's me, finally, but I was saving it for now, present the curious case right, right. of Jordy LaForge <laughs> and Leah Brom. I know what you were talking about. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's right. It's Vincent and I's very special Star Trek panel that we did this past summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and we're going to present that audio for you this Friday on this feed. So check it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fun. It was a fun time. Yeah. So kind of like a, a, a Spock adjacent special. Yes. Coming your way. Yes. All right. All right. Until then, he's Vincent, I'm Len, and in parting, we say... We'll see you when it's time to meet again. 